Amen. Let's just pray for Alan as he comes to share with us today. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, that your word is alive, your word is powerful, that you have been speaking to us, Lord, and now may you continue to speak through your word and through Alan, Lord God, that you would give him your words and your boldness um, and give us a heart that is open to receive everything you have for us today. Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning. Um, sometimes you feel when you get to this point of our service that God's already done what he wanted to do um, and that maybe this bit is... Uh, becomes superfluous, but uh, that's not necessarily how God works, is it? Yeah, because uh, there's always more, as Daniel was saying. Um, before I, uh, I do start, though, um, I'd just like to say one thing. Um, we were here last week, and John wasn't, because he was in hospital. Um, and it's good. We've been away, Esme and I have been away this week, and now we've come back, and there he is. So it's good to see you, John. Thank you. Now, to give you a bit of background as to what I wanted to share with you this morning, um, I must say, at first, Mary Ruffhead's not here, but it was her fault uh, that I'm saying what I'm saying this morning, because on one of our Wednesday uh, community group meetings, uh, we were looking at uh, Acts. We've been going through Acts from the beginning, and we're up to around about 23, chapter 23, 24. Um, and it's taken a long time to get that far. <laughs> uh, there was one thing, one question came up, and I gave an answer, and Mary's response was to that, to point her finger at me and say, preach it. So I thought, ooh. <laughs> anyway, that moment passed. Um, and then John came and asked me if I would speak this morning, shortly after that. And uh, on the Sunday, he, uh, he asked me, I was going, taking Betty home. Where's Betty? Obviously, she's hiding at the back, because she knew I was going to mention it. Um, I was taking Betty home, and we were just chatting as uh, we were on our way back from the prayer meeting, and she asked a question. And I said, that's interesting, because that's the word that God has given me to say this morning. Okay? So, it gives me a bit of confidence that it's the right thing to do. Uh, and I needed confidence in that, because, in a sense, it's not... It's taken me away from what would be my style or what, my approach to, um, to sharing uh, God's word. So that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Always being taken to a place we haven't been to before. Um, one of the good things about it is, though, it's given me the opportunity to find five points that all begin with the same letter. And I've never done that before, so uh, we're interested. But to start, I'd like to... Um, uh, show you a little bit of a comical uh, clip, if it's going to work, that just sort of sets the scene a little bit from where we go from here. Cyclist, halt now! Now, I do not believe you want to be intending to pass under that there low bridge with a high companion and perched atop a ladder that is higher than the aforementioned low bridge. Point there, Dave. And you don't want to be riding an old bike with a ladder on it anyway. That's not a modern form of transport. You want to get yourself a nice car like a Nissan Cedric or a Fiat Humberto or a Honda Pessary. I can't put a deposit on one now. Cheerio, bye-bye, Tar. Cheers, bye. mate. 
Excusing my pardon. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I very, 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 very much doubt that I am. It's never been known to happen before. But I do not believe you wish to persist with this beer pain confusion. Well, that explains these crippling stomach pains and this disappointingly wishy-washy first coat. Just very much. Chilly out, Bajitar. You don't want to do whatever you're doing. What is it precisely that you are doing? Well, I'm just about to test the trigger of my new loaded shotgun while simultaneously licking out a small speck of dust from the barrel with my tongue. You don't want to test out the trigger of your new loaded shotgun while simultaneously licking out a small speck of dust from the barrel with your tongue. If you do this simultaneously at the same time simultaneously, you shall blow your head off and thus acquire a husbandless wife and fatherless children. Well, yeah. He's right, you know, Paul. You saved my life. How can I ever repay you? All in a day's work. Cheerio, bye, ta <laughs> There was more, the one that I looked at earlier. And uh, <clears throat> I'll tell you what the story is. So that we can get a thing. But he, he then goes on and he finds this guy who uh, is standing inside his front door and behind him is this taut rope going all the way up out of the shot of the screen. And he starts saying, well, you don't want to have this bit of rope here because it will impede you getting out of your door and getting out of your door could cause you problems and so on. So the vote says, oh, yeah, very good point. And he sort of cuts the rope. And then he walks off and he says to himself, well, I think it's been a good day. And in the background, you see this huge thing falling from the sky and crushes this bloke on the floor. And <clears throat> now, the point of doing this is that there were three scenarios where he got involved and he gave the people some advice or, uh, you know, basically he, the catchphrase that came with Harry Enfield was, you don't want to be doing that, right? Where uh, it worked out right that they shouldn't want to be doing that except in the last one, which you didn't see. <laughs> it was not the right thing to do. Uh, and so having clipped it off at the end, I mean, it, uh, I should have watched it through to make sure it was the same as the one I saw at home. Anyway, so that's the scene, okay? Um, there's advice being given to these people, and some of it was good, some of it life-saving, and, and some of it... Uh, uh, there was the possibility shown that not all advice necessarily is the right advice. Anyway, um, getting back to our community group and our study in Acts, um, in recent weeks we've been uh, in that area around about chapter 19, 20, 21, where Paul is coming to the end of his third missionary journey. And I quickly want to take you through um, some of the key verses that pertain to what I'm going to say this morning. Um, and it's a bit of a, a whistle-stop tour, if you like. The first, you, you, I'll probably do it too quick for you to go and find it in your Bible, so I'll just uh, read them out. <clears throat> uh, it starts off in Acts 21. It says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia, Achaia, and go to Jerusalem, saying, After, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Um, and this is the first mention in Acts uh, and I guess Paul's thinking of where do I go from here? He's coming to the end of his third missionary journey 
And uh, it's, it seems that God has spoken to him and said he must go to Jerusalem. Um, <clears throat> at this point, he's just coming down the sort of western coast of uh, uh, Turkey, what is now Turkey, uh, by ship, and he calls at a couple of places along the way, but his, his, his eventual destination where that ship is taking him, or the ships are taking him, is to Jerusalem. <clears throat> and then in uh, Acts 20, verse 16, it says, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So not only had he got the uh, desire to go to Jerusalem or the leading to go to Jerusalem, it was an urgency about it and he needed to be there by a certain time. And then in a few verses later, in verse 22, it says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Um, <clears throat> so this then causes us to think a bit about he's going to Jerusalem, but maybe it's not going to be working out too well for him. Uh, and then uh, it goes on, the next mention is, in verse 21, 15, he says, After these days, we got ready and we went up to Jerusalem. So they went. Okay. <clears throat> now, um, <clears throat> so this was Paul's determination to go to Jerusalem. Um, in hindsight, we can look back at, at Acts and what follows and realize that it, it's... His visit to Jerusalem is actually a very crucial episode within the history of the church. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but then before he goes and before he gets there, uh, or before he, he leaves on his way, there are a couple of detractors that come his way. One of them is in Acts 21 verse 4. And it says, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, Paul's got this sense that God is telling him to go. And then these people, by the Spirit, are saying, don't go. Which seems, ooh, that's a bit strange, that's a bit odd, isn't it? And then what happens after that, in the next few verses, is a guy called Agabus comes and speaks uh, to Paul and gives him a prophecy. And it says, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and all the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem by the Spirit. This, this word came. Uh, and in our community group, we puzzled for a while, thinking, well, why does the Spirit say to Paul, go? And then by the Spirit, he reveals things to them, to other people, who then say to Paul, don't go. Okay. Well, I think the answer goes back, partly goes to back to um, where we, 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 uh, 
where are we? What, what, what was the verse? Yes, that one where he says, um, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. It's clearly a, for, a portent of something not very pleasant going to happen. And, and, and because we are able to read Acts and know what happens, we recognise that what does happen when Paul does get to Jerusalem isn't a pleasant experience. Okay, It starts off well. Um, in fact, well, when in, in, in verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 17, it said, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. So he gets there and it's fine. He's, he's given a great welcome uh, when he gets to his destination. Um, but uh, he, he has this dilemma. That's another D, you notice. <laughs> he has this dilemma of, do I listen to these people or do I go with the word that God has revealed to me? Um, and that is really the point of this video, right? But sometimes we can look at situations and we can look at circumstances we get a sense of what, how things might play out and we give advice. Yeah. Um, and we can give advice very sincerely, but it could be for that person in that situation, in those circumstances, the wrong advice. So there's a huge responsibility that sits on us when we reflect on what God is saying to an individual and how we then interpret that and then play it out in our own minds and then comment on it. Okay. Um, I think really what we're seeing here is they captured the thought that Paul had that it wasn't going to be a pleasant experience going to Jerusalem. And because of their love and their care and their concern uh, for them, uh, God, by his Holy Spirit, revealed that it wasn't going to be a nice thing. Hence, Agabus' prophecy and their immediate reaction was, well, you shouldn't go. So what God had said to the people was not that Paul shouldn't go, but that when he goes, it's not going to be very good. Okay? So if you can see, there's a subtle difference here between saying, uh, you know, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. What they should have been saying is, you're going to Jerusalem because that's got what God has said. And it's going to be unpleasant. Therefore, we, out of our love and concern, will pray for you, even though you're determined to go. Do you see? Yeah? Um, and it took us on that Wednesday night quite a while to get round to that point. Um, and it was at that point where it, the, the sort of light bulb went on. That's when my, Mary said, preach it. <laughs> so here we are. Um, so what did happen uh, when he got to uh, his destination? Um, we already looked at uh, 21.17, which says, when we, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Um, and then a couple of verses later, we read, uh, as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribunal of the cohort that all of Jerusalem was in chaos or confusion. Okay. Now, this point in church history is very, very fundamental. Right? Uh, and, it, and it was necessary for it to, ha it to happen. 
This, this is the point at which the grip that the Jewish tradition had on Christianity as it, as it was being formed and being developed was loosened. And uh, the, the grip of the traditions of, of, of the Jews who were trying to bring these things into a place where they could coexist with this new religion, the, the new way, um, that was happening in Jerusalem. A poor had come back, having established all these churches across uh, uh, East, Eastern Europe and Asia Minor and places like that, had come back, having effectively taken the word of God to the Gentiles. Right? People who had no understanding of Jewish tra tradition. Right? And the confusion and the chaos that was being caused by Paul's visit there, I mean, not by caused by Paul, but in outworking God's plan by Paul being there, was that the, uh, they came face to face with this uh, situation that they had to loosen the, the impact, the grip that the, the Jewish law had on the, the new church and allow it to flourish in the way in which God wanted it to be by the Spirit and, and not grounded and focused on the law. Um, and so without that, the church wouldn't possibly have become the global entity that it is and it, and it became from everything that Paul did. And Paul was very special in that way. Um, so, you know, he, he is a, a significant figure in the history and the development of the church. And what, what has happened here uh, uh, is that the Jews have realised that their influence over this new thing uh, was being uh, broken down and, and they were having to take their hands off, if you like, and their way wasn't going to, to be the way it went. And, um, and so they saw Paul as being the one who was implementing this. He was the, the figurehead, the, the, the focal, focal point of, of this change. And they thought they wanted that rid of him because he, he was the one who was bringing this thing that was contrary, or becoming the focal point of what's contrary to what they believed. So they were quite keen on, on getting rid of him. And so they drummed up uh, uh, this thing, similar to as they did in the days of Jesus, uh, to get the authorities of the land there to actually uh, get Paul and see him off. And what follows is, is that Paul is taken into... Um, charged by the, the, the cohort, the leader of the cohort, who actually was the authority in that place. And he effectively arrested Paul and took him away. Um, so, um, that was Paul's destination at his visit. But then um, we realised that Paul uh, had much more confidence in God and what God was doing. Um, if we go back to the very first verse, uh, where it first mentioned his visit to Jerusalem, it said um, <clears throat> that after he had been there, that's Jerusalem, he must also see Rome. So he had a, a view in his mind that this isn't the end of it. This, there's another destination that follows this one. And, uh, and we see that within Paul, he has a confidence uh, that and now he enables him to override 
the difficult and the hard and troubling times. And that confidence is what's founded in his understanding and knowledge of God and his relationship with him. Um, we're going to look at a couple of verses in a moment of, uh, <coughs> of, of, of where Paul um, got that confidence from. I just want to finish one more verse in uh, Acts before we move away from Acts. Um, towards the end of his time um, in Jerusalem, uh, because he's then being arrested and taken to Rome, um, God speaks this word to him. It says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. It was a difficult situation, so take courage. For as long as you have testified to the facts about me, he had given his testimony, he had spoken the word of God, he had talked about all the things he'd been doing amongst the Gentiles, and, uh, and, uh, and his understanding of where the church was going. In Jer the facts you've spoken about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Right? So he has every right to be confident that this isn't the end of it, it's, it's going on to a place. And... Uh, and I looked at um, some things that Paul wrote to try and understand a bit about the confidence that he had in what God had said to him. Okay. Um, he could have uh, listened to the detractors. He could have listened to those who said, look, don't go. You know, let's imagine it, it, it's us. Right? Um, we're sitting in this nice, comfortable place in, in Miletus, I think they were at the time. Very nice climate. Esme and I went there a few years ago. It's a lovely piece of uh, what's now modern-day Turkey. Um, I remember we sat in a little cafe not far from Miletus and enjoyed a nice cup of coffee in the sunshine. It was very pleasant. Um, so he's in this place, and he's surrounded by uh, the elders of Ephesus and uh, a few other <coughs> people. And um, so he's then got this choice. Do I go the way in which God seems to be leading me, which is into all sorts of trouble, being arrested, being... Uh, facing a crowd that wanted to see the end of him, that wanted to see him killed. Um, he's going off to Rome, and he went to Rome initially in chains. Do I want to do that, or do I want to stay here? Right? And the people were saying, stay here. Right? But it's not what God said. It's not what God's plan was. It's not what God's intention was. So he went. Um, and then if we look at some of the things that Paul wrote, um, there were three particular passages that spoke to me about the confidence that Paul had that no matter what would happen, he should follow God. <clears throat> the first was in Philippians chapter 3, <coughs> verse 7 to 11. Uh, it says, But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, <coughs> but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, 
that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> Paul knew who his God was. He knew what life uh, God had called him to. Right? And he knew that God would be faithful to him. Right? Now we may not be Paul, and we may not be called to do a great work within the history of the church, but the same confidence that Paul had, we can know. We can know, we do know, the same God. And God's attitude towards us, and the words that he says to us, oh, thank you. <coughs> the words that he says to us are the same words. This is written down to us and recorded in Philippians, and the scripture tells us that all these words were written for our benefit and for our learning and for our understanding. And so this isn't just for Paul. Uh, this is for us too. So we may not be called to Jerusalem. We may not face uh, a crowd that wants us stoned or hung or things or at least thrown into prison and carted off to some other place. Um, but whatever our circumstances are and whatever our situations are, and we heard from Debbie a bit about some of these things this morning. Her confidence can be the same as Paul's. Right? And, and, it, and, it, and it's around knowing our God. Right? So if we know our God and we know what he says and we know how he exhibits himself to us in his faithfulness and his grace and his mercy, then we can take confidence in that. He then goes on to say later in Philippians... It says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There was a contentment in Paul. There was a peace in him, It seemed to me that when you read him, not only in these bits we've been looking at, but through all of his uh, epistles and, and other bits of Acts, that whatever came his way, he found a contentment in. You know, and it says in these verses, whether he was hungry or whether he had plenty, whether he was in need or whether he had abundance, uh, whether he was brought low or he was abounding, um, he knew that he could be content, that God wouldn't leave him, wouldn't forsake him, that whatever happens, uh, God would be with him and would strengthen him in all that he does. Right? So that's a bit beyond confidence. That's not just knowing about God and realising what God can do. It's meaning that I can absorb that into my own life and take an attitude and, and take a, a stance in, in everyday life that says I can just leave it to God whether I've got loads or whether I've got nothing I can be content I can be at peace I can be joyful I can be um, full of admiration for who God is and I can in a sense sit back and let it all happen because it's not me that's in charge I'm not running the ship God is in charge. 
And Paul had that sense uh, throughout this time of going to Jerusalem and facing all these troubles, that whatever happened, whatever came, he could be content and be at peace in his own heart, in his own mind. Uh, somebody mentioned the word angst. A couple, well, it was mentioned a couple of times this morning. Angst is a word that um, is, a, is a good covering for all the times when we're feeling a bit, you know, a bit, whatever it is, I don't like it. You know, whatever is coming our way, I wish it would go somewhere else. Um, or I wish I wasn't with these people, or I wasn't in this place or this situation. Right? Well, angst, in a sense, is the opposite to what Paul was saying here, in being content. Right? So if you're feeling a bit angst, go and read about Paul and what he put up with and what he understood and where he found his peace and contentment and his joy. Um, because that's same word is available to us. It's not just Paul because he was special. It means that we can know it too. And then in Romans, um, it says this. It says, no, that's always a good word to start off with, isn't it? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, we can know him so that we're, uh, we understand where God's taking us. We can be content about whatever that is, right? But not only that, we can be more than conquerors. Whatever the situation is, he can take us above uh, everything that's uh, facing us, everything that's troubling us, everything that's causing us to, uh, to maybe be, have, understand what angst means. Um, and we can be more than conquerors. I mean, we, somebody said at the beginning of our meeting about being above, rising above uh, things. And, and the truth of this verse, these verses is what takes us above uh, these things and gives us an opportunity to know a victory, whether it's in... Uh, things that are hard and difficult, or whether it's in uh, life just going on and nice, steady, even kill. Right? There's still a place where we can know that whatever comes our way, we can be conquerors. So Paul had these three things, and this is Paul's declaration, right? that he can know him, he can be content, and that will make him more than conquerors, more than a conqueror. Right? So... That's the end of the deeds, right? So we've done, we've done determination, we've done detractors, we've done dilemma, we've done the destination, we've now done the declaration. So uh, I felt quite pleased when I got to that bit. <laughs> um, so what about us? Okay, uh, it's all very well for Paul. Um, Paul's a great uh, character within the New Testament. Um, my name's not Paul, my name's Alan. And uh, in my generation, Alan is quite a common name, even in this church. There's a few Alans, okay? Uh, and are they all here today? Yeah, I think they're probably all here today, all the Alans. Eh? Yeah, yes, one, two, three, four. Any more? No, that's it. So, so I'm not Paul, okay? 
Um, but Paul does set us an example. Paul is not a bad person to study and to understand and to follow, particularly in his relationship with God, particularly in how he outworks what God says to him, and in his attitude as he goes through all of those things. And as I say, we may not experience the same things, but we may not be called for the same thing as Paul, but we can know everything that Paul knew. And we do know it. It's all written down for us. It's given to us so that we can learn it, understand it, study it, and accept it, adopt it to us for our own understanding. But I think there's another interesting thing that comes out of this, uh, this story. And it revolves around these detractors. Um, these people who um, saw what was going on, they were close to what was going on, and actually gave advice that if Paul had followed it, would have meant that the history of the church would have been completely different, possibly. I mean, God can still work without whether Paul does or doesn't. But he had chosen to use Paul for this. So if Paul had... Maybe, who knows what the implications would be if Paul had not gone to Jerusalem, you know? What would the implications be for the church? Now, it's interesting uh, for ourselves when we think... God wants to take us this way, and we, we hear voices that say, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> um, how do we then work that out? Well, there's a, there's a, a thing that we have to do, uh, and, and it's about testing what God says. And when I thought about, you know, John asked me to do this, I thought immediately of what Mary had said to me about uh, Go Preach It. And then later on in the conversation I had with Betty, it confirmed to me that this is what I should share with you this morning. Um, and so it was good to sit and, and just think for a while about what God had said, you know. So is, is, is what I'm hearing confirming what God has said to me or is it contrary to it? Um, and I think if it's contrary, I mean, if it's positive, that's fine, that's easy, isn't it? But if it's contrary, you know, I think we then have to evaluate what it is in our own mind and get before God and understand, are you doing this? And, and, and maybe asking for confirmation that, you know, I want to do this. And I can imagine Paul um, uh, would do this. Um, <clears throat> there was a verse that we missed out in Acts. Uh, when he talked to the when he responded to the people who said to him, "Don't go," and uh, he said, uh, Paul answered them and he said, "What what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not, <clears throat> for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord." You know, it was contrary to the fundamental tenet that Paul had uh, that he he. Th felt that God was taking him on his journey to his destination. So if things are contrary, it's sometimes worth saying, asking those questions, you know, well, why are you saying this to me? You know, um, it, it was interesting, I think Agabus didn't say don't go. Agus just said that when you go, they're going to take your belt and they're going to bind you up with it. Um, it he, didn't, he didn't finish you with so don't go. It was the people who listened who then said, oh, you better not go. <laughs> okay. 
Um, so that gives us a responsibility that works both ways. It's a responsibility when God speaks to us and says, do this thing, and voices come contrary to that. It's also when we hear about other people and we then say something contrary towards it. You know, we need to be sure and certain of what we say, particularly when it's a, a fundamental seriousness. Imagine the situation in this church, right? If there's, there's somebody who's a fundamental part of who we are, you know, really entrenched in us being family, and suddenly God says, I want those people to be lifted up and taken off to outer Mongolia, right? I think many of our reactions would be, you know, just think of some of the people who you've believed to be fundamental to this church and its life and its character and nature, right? Suddenly being told to go to outer Mongolia. Right? You might think, oh no. <laughs> but the responsibility we have is to understand, do I support this or do I, am, am, am I seriously convicted that that's not the right thing to do? It's a question for you. The one thing that I think is important is that our care for one another and our love for one another should not mask or cover or eliminate God's purpose in somebody else's life. Um, so that puts a huge responsibility on us when we hear about these things. Um, <clears throat> God has a, a plan and intention for all of us. You know, the scripture says this. And we all have that responsibility to work it out ourselves. Um, but us as family, us as church, need to stand with people and do what's right to encourage them within God's plan and his intention for their lives. So we need to know uh, what it is as well as they need to be convinced. So that's me. I'm done. <laughs> but I'd like to pray for us um, as a church. Um, I'd like to pray that we would know and have the same confidence in all that we do uh, uh, that Paul had. And I'd like us to also be wise in what we say, to know discernment and know understanding of God's will and purpose when we, uh, we speak to others, and, and particularly if what we say could come under the category of being advice. Um, we need to be very careful, I think, before we have advice. It's very much better to say, I'll pray with you about that, than to say, I don't think you should do it. Um, you may be right, you may be wrong, but you need to know first. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you've given us this testimony of Paul, Lord, who uh, uh, we can learn things from and understand something of how we react and uh, know how to follow through on what you speak to us and, and what you say to us, both as individuals and as a church. We thank you, Father, too, that we can have the same confidence that Paul had in you. Lord, to know you, to be content uh, in the situations that you take us into. And Father, to enable us to know a victory wherever we go and whatever we do, whether it be in the, the daily routine or whether it be in some significant event in our lives. And Father, too, we pray for wisdom as we talk to one another and we listen uh, to what God says. Father, give us wisdom and discernment. Give us understanding 
of what your will and purpose is, Father, before we, we allow our emotion or our own personal desires uh, to rise and, 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 and take our voice. So, Father, we want to ask you uh, to bless us and encourage us as a church, cause us each to know your will and purpose for our own individual lives. But, Lord, to also find a place, Lord, where we can encourage each other in the way in which we should go. So, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your love and care for us always. Amen.